so good to be with you. Welcome to church. If you're new, welcome. I met a few visitors this morning already. It's just uh, great to have you folks connecting. And uh, if you're first time or umpteenth time, great to have you here at church. We're in God's presence. Uh, we're going to turn to God. Uh, we're going to turn to the Bible in a minute, but first we're going to turn to God and just ask Him to speak to us. So let's just, let's just take a moment to pray. Father, thank you. You know everyone here. You know the journey we're on. You know the lives we're living. God, you know the challenges we're facing. And God, I know that you love every person in this room. God, I ask that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you will reveal yourself today. That God, your love will become tangible, experiential for everyone here. That people would have a feel of God's presence, not just an understanding of God's presence, but they actually know your love. Welcome Holy Spirit in this room just now. We invite you, come Holy Spirit in power and touch lives. Do the work behind the scenes that only you can do. I pray perform miracles. I pray sick bodies will be healed. I pray people who are tormented will be set free. And I pray most of all that people who are far from you, God, that you draw them close and give people an understanding and experience of God's love in a very real and tangible way. Come Holy Spirit. Just during the worship, I felt three specific situations. I felt that someone here who, at some point in your childhood, you made a negative decision about God. I don't know if it was, in, it was in reaction to a situation you went through, but God wants you to know today that that was the wrong call and that your view of God was a wrong view, that he wasn't the one to blame. I also felt that someone here, and you're actually battling with Yes, dreams, but more than that, kind of spiritual things going on around your life. And you're, you're experiencing stuff, and some of it's not good. And it's, it's, it's kind of a mixture of stuff, and, you, and it's, some of it's weird spiritual, some of it's bad spiritual, some of, it, some of it, you just don't know what's going on. And I believe God says to you that you, need to, you, not, you should not be spiritually vulnerable, but that you need to come and just submit to Him and bring your life under God, because then you'll be spiritually safe. And also felt that someone here, and because of a resentment, bitterness that you're holding on to, you're actually seeing physical ailments and illnesses in your life, but actually the root of it is bitterness and unforgiveness that you've been holding on to. And God in His love wants to empower you to be able to forgive today. So God, those people, but others as well, I pray, move among us, do your work. Now help me to speak and help us to hear in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. What world we're living in? I mean, I, sometimes every, every day for breakfast, I put the news on and I, I have it just playing on, on my phone as I'm making breakfast for everyone. And uh, it's, it's just, it's kind of quite exciting. Well, or troubling <laughs> every day. You just don't know what's going to happen the next, every day. It's just another world event or another big decision or, and, you know, gone are the days of of Obama, Merkel, and Cameron, and, and kind of we're living in the days now of Putin, and, and, and he's kind of intimidating countries near him, and uh, Erdogan in, in Turkey, who's, who's kind of gaining more powers for himself, and then there's Kim Jong-un, you know, the one with the dodgy haircut in North Korea. I mean, he's speaking of using nuclear force against another country. That, I mean, that's, that kind of language is really used, certainly in our generation, but that kind of language to be used. And then there's obviously the huge uh, confusion over Donald Trump. Many people are for him. Many people are against him. And, and that's stirring up a lot of feelings. So we're living in a changing world. It, it just now in France, today's a really important day for France as they're going to the elections. And right there in the middle of the candidates is Marine Le Pen. And there's a bit of a rhetoric going on there that's it's quite anti-foreigner rhetoric. And it's not, not nice. Uh, I don't know if that's her personal, I don't know if she's racist or not, but this, there's a lot of stuff going down in our world today. And the question is, what kind of church does God want us to be in the midst of a, in, in the midst of a world that's in flux, in the midst of a world that's kind of coming or going? That's the kind of the answer I want to bring today. I want to look at what Jesus says about the kind of people he wants us to be. If you were to go back to Jesus' time and, and before, to kind of ancient civilizations, People worshipped gods that they could see, idols, physical things they carved and bowed down and worshipped. 
I guess here we are in the modern world and people still worship. It's just they worship other idols they can see. Sometimes they worship people. Sometimes they worship themselves. Sometimes they worship careers or things or objects or icons. And people are worshipers. Our God, however, is invisible. He's not a God you can see. So the question is, when people say, well, where's your gods? Um, The answer we would give is, well, 2,000 years ago, God turned up and he could be seen. It's called the incarnation. God became a man. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. Jesus was born to a virgin. Jesus turned up. All of a sudden, wow, the mystery about God was over. But you might say 2,000 years later, well, where's God now? Where's Where's the visible representation of God today? And this is where Jesus takes us in his answer. Jesus answers that by saying this phenomenal, phenomenal statement. It's going to be the basis of everything we're talking about this morning. John chapter 13, verse 34 to 35. Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this will everyone know that you are my disciples if you love one another. That's kind of small, but can you guys try and read that with me? Let's do it. One, two, three. A new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this will everyone know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Today, he is manifest. Everyone knows by the love of God displayed in God's people. God is manifest to the world today through God's love manifest in God's people. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go backwards through the verses. I'm going to go backwards through the verses and unpack it that way as we go, okay? So uh, first of all, everyone will know. That's what Jesus says. By this shall everyone know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Everyone will know. I, I was recently in Jerusalem, brilliant time over there, nine days with about 20 odd folks, from, not 20 normal folks, but it's just a phrase. Don't, don't worry about these things. So 20 odd folks from the church, we were in Israel, amazing, nine days, great tour. And one of the places that stood out to me when we were in Nazareth, uh, this, this picture here is of, it's actually called the Scottish Hospital, just right in Nazareth village. And the Scottish Hospital uh, was actually, is actually the oldest hospital in the Middle East. And it was founded by a guy from Edinburgh, a guy called Carlos Vartan. Now, he wasn't originally from Edinburgh, but he came to Edinburgh to study medicine. He had been so impacted by looking at the care provision that Florence Nightingale and others had provided during war times, how they provided medical care for people in the worst situations. Motivated by the love of God, they provided care for people in the worst situations. This guy, Vartan, was so impacted by that, he moved to Edinburgh, trained to be a doctor, and made a choice that he wanted to make a difference and show God's love in a practical way somewhere else in the world. And then he partnered with the Edinburgh Medical Missionary Society way back in 1861, and he traveled to Nazareth and started a hospital. Amazing. A guy wanting to show people God's love in a tangible way. When it started in Nazareth at the time, way back in 1861, the average life expectancy for men was 22 years old. The average life expectancy for women was only 24 years old. The closest hospital to that was either in Beirut or Damascus, kind of 100 miles away from Nazareth. So there was a huge need. And this guy, Vartan, started this hospital. The population was suffering hugely from uh, cholera, dysentery, malaria, tuberculosis, and infant mortality was mega high. And through this hospital, it brought transformation. It totally brought change. Uh, And today they've got 150 beds, 500 staff, about 50,000 people they look after every year. Amazing. Founded by a guy who was gripped by the love of God and wanted to demonstrate God's love to a world that so desperately needed it. I love that. I love that. That's Christianity. Two weeks ago, we had a guy speak actually in our Gorgia location, a guy called Terry Law. If you missed the message, you can go on our website. And as you saw in that film clip earlier, you can, you, can listen, you can listen and watch to all the talks you hear in the church. Every week, they're uploaded. And they have, there's about 10 years worth of stuff. So if you want to catch up, you can, you can spend the next three months of your life watching. Okay, But Terry Law's talks there, and Terry Law um, 
spoke a couple of weeks ago. He's got this organization called Compassion, World Compassion Ministries. And every day, he and his team feed 8,400 Syrian and Iraqi refugees right there on the ground. They provide homes for orphans in Burma, and they're currently starting a school that will accommodate 200 kids in the largest refugee camp in Kurdistan, providing education for kids who have been denied it through brutal regimes. That's amazing. And that's what I call Christianity. People gripped with God's love, demonstrating the love of God. So you might say, well, where's God? Where's your God? I mean, we see the physical gods of the idolaters, but where's your God? And our God turned up 2,000 years ago, but he's continued to turn up through the love of God displayed through God's people to the world. Jesus said, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love. And I love that as a church, we're committed to this kind of lifestyle. We don't just want to talk about heaven We want to help people experience heaven on earth. We want to help people navigate the way through some of the challenging situations. That's what we do as a church. I love that we have a whole department on staff that helps provide support for people who are going through tough times. We have Destiny Angels providing food. We have uh, people going out helping with the homeless. Right here in Leith, you guys do Rise, the homeless meal. I love how we do missions trips and send money to international, make a difference in orphanages and different things. I love this is who we are as a people. And that's organizationally, but individually, I love that this is your heartbeat. This is what we are. Jesus said by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. Now, when he said that, he's not just talking about outhouse love, you know, out, out there. He's not just saying care for the worlds. Because if you look at the verses, he says, by this, everyone will know that you're my disciples for your love for one another. He's also talking about in-house love. He's talking about the way you treat each other in church, in this thing called the local church. That's so important. You can't export what's not going on internally, right? And he's saying it actually starts in-house. It starts in this thing called local church. You, the way you love each other, not just gather on a Sunday, but the way you love each other is a demonstration to the world of God. Let me take you right back to the point when Jesus had died on the cross and risen again. He commissioned his disciples and ascended back to the Father, and then the church was birthed. The church that was birthed was radical. And in those early centuries, many of the pagan and Roman writers record the impact that the local church had through some of the hardest times. Listen to this. This is a a quote from a guy called Rodney Stark in his book, The Rise of Christianity. And he quotes from pagan writers and this, he, who witnessed what was happening in Rome during a massive plague in Rome. And I quote, the doctors were quite incapable of treating the disease. People were afraid of visiting anyone as a, uh, and as a result, thousands of people died with no one looking after them. Indeed, there were many houses in which all the inhabitants perished, all through lack of any attention. The catastrophe was so overwhelming that people became indifferent to every rule of morality. They even pushed away sufferers, even, for, for, even their dearest, often throwing them onto the roads before they, uh, before they were dead in, in a hope to avoid contagion. And then he quotes this, uh, this writer of the time, Dionysius, describing the church. Christians showed unbounded love and loyalty, never sparing themselves and thinking only of others. Heedless of danger, they took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ's name. And with them departed this life serenely happy, for they were infected by others with the same disease. Amazing. So in a culture where in Rome at the time when people were just, they wanted to stay away from anyone with the plague, what were the Christians doing? They were, rather than moving away, they were moving too. And they got that idea from Jesus who assumed our problems onto himself as he died on the cross. He took your sin. He took your disease. He took your ailment. He took your suffering. He took your pain. He took your hell so you could have his heaven. That's what Jesus did on the cross. And ever since then, Christians have been demonstrating that radical selfless love. And here we see this Christianity in action in Rome way back in the early centuries. Here's another quote by an an unbelieving Athenian philosopher from Athens, Aristides, he said this, describing the church, they abstain from all impurity 
in the hope of recompense that will come in another world. As for the servants or handmaids or children, they persuade them to become Christians by the love they have for them. And when they do so, they call them without distinction, brothers. They do not worship strange gods, and they walk in all humility and kindness. And falsehood is not known among them. This is an unbelieving Greek philosopher describing this. Falsehood is not known among them. And they love one another. When they see a stranger, they bring them into their homes and rejoice over them as they would a true brother. And if any among them is, is poor or needy, and they do not have an abundance of necessities, they will fast two or three days that they may supply the needy with the necessary foods. They observe scrupulously the commandment of their Messiah, and they live honestly and soberly as their Lord commanded them. Such is the law of the Christian, and such is the conduct of the Christians. Isn't that amazing? world looks on at a, a radical Christianity, and it understands what God is like, because God's a radically loving God. How do you identify a Christian? It's not by a cross around their neck. It's not by a fish stuck to the back of their car. It's not by kind of Christian t-shirts. Uh, it's not by bumper stickers, nothing like this. It's, 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 Jesus said, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples, by your, by your love. I remember at the time my mum died in 96, the way the church, so I was part of Destiny Church Glasgow before I moved through to plant the church here in Edinburgh. And the way Destiny Church Glasgow rallied around my family around the time of my mum's death in 1996 blew away my extended family. So my mother died, and after my mum's death, my uncle, who is an atheist, he's no longer alive, but my uncle commented that this is amazing. He said that if this is what Christianity is, then I like it. That's what his comment was in watching how the local church I was part of rallied around, provided meals, did our ironing, phoned us all the time, made sure we visited, not just in the week of, but in the months that followed my mum's death, and it blew him away. By this will everyone know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Now, you've got to make this tangible for you. I don't just want this to be think, oh yeah, that's good, I like that. I want it to be tangible for you. I want you to have your own stories. So listen, don't just gather on a Sunday in a crowd like this. Because the danger is in a crowd like this, you can be anonymous. You can like the concept of loving each other, but actually you don't know people. You don't know the needs of the person sitting next to you because you haven't had a chance to really get to know them. Sure, you said hi to them, welcome to church, but you haven't gone further than that. And sometimes you don't like going further than that, maybe because you're your own insecurity, because I don't want them to see what a flawed person I am. Well, they're probably thinking the same. So just chill out and get to know each other. And the best way you can do that is in small groups. We run small groups through the week in various people's homes all around the city, all around this area of town. If you're not in a small group, use the welcome card, sign up for a small group, and get along. If there's not a small group in your area, well, why don't you open up your home and we'll train you to be a small group leader? But either way, I want you to have a small group experience where you can actually get to know believers and do this thing called Christianity. Not just think about this thing called Christianity, but do this thing called Christianity in a tangible way. Small groups are life-changing. If you come on a Sunday, your life will change. If you come on a Sunday and go to a small group, you will be transformed. You will grow. In, how, many people would agree, how many people would agree with that statement? Who go to small groups, you think, that's absolutely right. It is life-changing. Do not deny yourself the opportunity to really grow in your faith. You only live once. Let's live this thing called Christianity not just hear about it. Amen? So, hey, let's have a vision where this church, Edinburgh knows about God because of this diverse international church called Destiny and the other great churches that are also in this city. So, it starts, all will know. That's where it starts. But this, everyone will know that you are my disciples. But then it goes on. Let's read the verse again. Uh, John 13. Help me. One, two, three. A new commandment I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So we're going back through the verses now. The next bit is, as I have loved you. 
So where does this love come from? Where does this amazing love displayed in the church down through the ages and continuing to be displayed in this world, where does it come from? Well, here it says, as I have loved you. He gave us an example. Jesus loved us. You see, and here's the problem, right? Many of you, we transfer our experiences and we assume that's how God is in the way he loves us. So maybe you were, maybe, maybe a childhood experience, maybe an experience of neglect or an experience of abandonment or an experience of distance between you and parents. And, and therefore, you understand love in this particular way, and then you transfer that onto God, and you think, well, that's, that must be how God, the ultimate Father, loves me then. And, and that's misunderstanding. That's not how he loves you. Or maybe you've been dumped. Maybe you were in a relationship, and they promised the world. But when things got tough, it wasn't in sickness and in health. They walked out. It wasn't until death did his part. They walked out. Or maybe you walked out. Maybe you're the one who walked out. And as a result, you kind of think, well, I kind of know the ideal, but really there's no such thing as the ideal. And then you transfer that onto God, assuming that maybe God's the same. He's not the same. And broken promises, performance-based love, that's not God. You know, if you, if you as a kid had to prove yourself and then you did good, you got good, you did bad, you got bad, it was all conditional. It was all conditional how you behaved as whether or not you got love. And that might have been that way in your marriage, or it might have been that way in your childhood, and you assume that maybe how is God, how God interacts with you. If you've been a good person, then God will love you more. If you've been a bad person, then God will love you less. And you transfer all these thoughts about love and relationships, and you kind of, you, you superimpose them onto God and assume somehow su- subtlety that you, you think that maybe God is the same, but he's not the same. He's really, really different. You see, you and I know that this thing called God's kind of love exists. You know that. See, when you, when you pledge your love to someone, you don't say, I will love you till I die. You don't say that. You say, I will love you forever, don't you? you, you, don't, you don't, I don't say to my wife, honey, I'm going to love you till I die. You don't say that. It's kind of weird. It is weird, isn't it? I love you until I die. I'll love you until I die. Now, you say, I'll love you forever because there's something within us that knows that Love, somehow or another, has an eternal quality. We know that. We know that. And maybe you've given up on it as an idea, but you shouldn't give up on it. And the reason you know that love has an eternal quality is because love existed outside of our frame of reference. It existed eternally because the Bible says about God, God describes himself, 1 John 4, 8, God is love. Outside of time and space, God, who is eternally existed, is the ultimate definition of love. Any, any great form of love you've experienced is a mere glimmer of the ultimate love that is in God himself. And when Jesus came, all of a sudden, eternity, eternal love became a love in time. All of a sudden, conceptual love became experiential love when Jesus walked this earth. And now he was able to say, as I have loved you. The disciples knew, because he was saying this. This is Jesus on the last night of his life. Speaking these verses we're reading in John 13. This last night of his life. He's about to be arrested. He's about to go through those trials. He's about to be condemned to death and crucified and rise again. That's, about, that's literally what's about to happen. And these are the kind of final things he's saying to his disciples. They're so important. And he's saying this at the end of having spent three years with them every day, Day in, day out, lived with them, ate with them, traveled with them. They saw all that he did. They saw all that he said. They experienced this life with Jesus. And at the end of that, he says, as I have loved you. And they knew that because they had been with him for three years. They knew what that felt like to be loved by Jesus. It was experiential. And what they, they'd seen the miracles. They'd seen his love weren't just, wasn't just words. They saw how out of compassion he caused cripples to walk blind people to see, and terrible diseases to disappear. And he touched people that no one else would touch. Lepers that everyone else held at arm's length, Jesus went and touched. And instead of him getting their disease, they got his miracle healing. He raised dead people. Out of compassion, he raised dead people. Saw a woman who was weeping over her lost son, raises him from the dead. That's Jesus. They saw, wow, that's how he loves. But he also broke all the taboos. He loved sinners. 
He didn't just love the pure and the holy and the religious people, if there's any such thing. He loved the sinners. He loved the hypocrites. He loved the tax collectors. He loved the rich and the poor. He loved those who racially were different. That's important. He, he, he broke racial taboos. He loved Samaritans. He loved Gentile peoples. And for Jewish people, that was a no-go, but Jesus went there because that's exactly how God is. There is no barrier when it comes to race as far as God is concerned. And they, they knew this. They saw him meet their needs. They saw him feed the multitudes. They saw him, in fact, they just experienced him. They were literally standing there having just had their feet washed by Jesus. And now Jesus was saying, I want you to love just as I have loved you. But ultimately, they were about to see the ultimate example of love where he goes to the cross. And it says in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God didn't wait until you were sorted to die for you. He didn't wait for you to clean up your act and get things sorted out before he died for you on the cross. He died for you when you were in a place of actually disinterest in God. People, the world was rejecting God. The, those who crucified him rejected him. They weren't repenting after they crucified him. They hated him. And yet he, he prayed, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing. Jesus Christ died on behalf of a world that didn't want God. And yet God in his radical love loved the world anyway. No one else has paid that kind of price for you. And yet God has. That's amazing. He didn't wait for you to get everything sorted. Now here's the thing. You were loved while you were a mess. But now that you've come to God, or some of you have come to God, now maybe today, maybe you haven't yet come to God, and I'm describing to you a love like no love you've experienced or understood before, and today I'm just throwing it out there. I'm, in fact, I'm appealing to you. If you don't know God yet, why not today make the greatest decision of your life and put your faith in Jesus who died for you and rose again? No one else has loved you like he's loved you. No one else has paid this price for you like he's paid the price for you. Don't live one more day on earth without being a follower of Jesus. I'll give you an opportunity to do that at the end of my message here. But maybe today, I guess most of you here at some point have put your faith in Jesus. And you knew that he paid the price for you while you were still a mess. He didn't wait for you to tidy up your act before he died unconditionally and loved you. Yeah? But here you are now, however many years after accepting Jesus. And here's the problem. Now you think he interacts with you based on your performance. You knew that he accepted you not based on your performance at the start, but now here you are a few years in. You're kind of thinking, well, God expects me to have tidied my act up further than I have. I know he accepted me when I was a mess before I was a Christian, but now like I'm a mess and I'm a Christian. Hey, Sammy. Now I'm a mess and I'm a Christian. So... Will he accept me now? And we, we do this crazy thing. We flip. We know there's the unconditional love of God, but, ah, but that's for the unchristian. But now I'm a Christian. Now it will be to do with how I behave and how I perform. Listen, you've got it so wrong. It's not like God has changed how he loves. God doesn't change how he loves. It says in Colossians 2 verse 6, As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. How did you receive Christ Jesus as your Lord? When you were all sorted or while you were messed up? While you were messed up. You, you received him while you were a mess and you received an unconditional love that said, I accept you no matter your mess. I accept you no matter who you are or what you've done. I accept you. That's how you receive Christ Jesus as your Lord. And the Bible says, so walk in him. In other words, nothing's changed. Don't now change the way you interact with him. He hasn't changed the way he interacts with you. That unconditional love that says, I will love you while you're a mess, is still God's unconditional love for you, 10-year-old Christian, or you, one-year-old Christian, or you, 
30-year-old Christian, it doesn't matter how long you've been going in this thing, the unconditional love of God is still unconditional. Sure, you've made some boo-boos. Sure, you've made some mistakes. Even this week, sure, you hate the way you think sometimes, and you hate the way you behave sometimes. I get that. So does God. But you need to know He loves you, and He won't quit on you, and His unconditional love is unchanging. As you received Him, how was that? It was, I've got nothing to offer you. I receive it. I, I just accept it. I have no other hope. You're my hope. I accept. I receive it. Well, 10 years into believing, it's exactly the same. His unconditional love is towards you. That's good news. And this, this word love that the New Testament gives us is this, is this Greek word agape. Now, there was other words they could have used. They could have used eros, which is sensual sexual love, or philia, brotherly love. You know, the word Philadelphia, they say brotherly love. Or uh, there was different sorge, this friendship kind of love. But when it came to God's kind of love, none of the other Greek words which are used to describe love could have been used. In fact, it, it, the word agape did exist in the Greek language before Jesus. It did, but it was hardly used. And in the Bible, it was hardly used in the Old Testament. But when we move into the New Testament, that word agape is the word that's used to describe God's kind of love. And it's literally a translation of unconditional, radical, selfless love. It's not you scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. It's just I'll scratch yours. God's saying, you don't need to do anything. I'll just do it all. You don't need to love me. I'm going to love you anyway. That's the kind of love. And by the way, that's the kind of love that builds strong marriage. That's the kind of love that builds strong kids. That's the kind of love that changes cities. That's the kind of love that sets people free. That's the kind of love that will set you free. It sets me free. I appreciate his unconditional love every day. You see, God doesn't love you because you're lovely. Turn to your neighbor and say to them, God does not love you because you're lovely. Go on. Turn to your other neighbor and say, you too, you too. So listen, God doesn't love you because you're lovely. God loves you because he's love. And that's eternal. And that's unchanging. And that's the bedrock of your faith and your ability to stand for the decades ahead in your life. It's good news. So have you received that love? Sinners, have you received that love? People who don't know God, have you received that love? If you haven't, haven't trusted Jesus, don't live another day without Jesus. Trust him today. Put your faith in him. But believers, you who have accepted God's love at some point in the past, accept it again today. Nothing's changed. You've changed. You've become stupid. God hasn't changed. He's still the same. He's still as unconditional, loving, relentless God. The same God who died for you on the cross and accepted you when you had nothing to offer him is the same God who today accepts you. Nothing to do with your performance. Nothing's changed. And it says because of this, 1 John 4 verse 19, we love because he first loved us. You see, the main reason that our relationships with others is, are so poor is because so often our relationship with God is so poor. That our ability to love others is based on our grasp of how much we're loved. And if we're, if we're acting as if God is the God who's an ogre and always looking for you to trip up and always wanting to comment on negatively on your behavior and, and, you got, and, and actually it's all this going on in your head, you think, you think it's God telling you, man, it's your own religious subconscious telling you stuff about yourself that's so often negative and it's not God. And, and the reason our relationship with others is so poor so often is because our relationship with God is so poor because we're not grasping his incredible, unconditional love. You see, if you haven't received his unconditional love towards you, you will find it very hard towards show, to show unconditional love towards other people. If you find yourself constantly thinking, well, actually, they don't deserve me to give them time, then it might be that you're not relating to God properly. Or, or if, you're constantly, if you're constantly judging people, could it be that you constantly feel judged? That maybe your lack of the grasp of the unconditional love of God towards you is inhibiting your own ability to show an unconditionalness, a freeness, whether they give you anything back, whether they, even whether they, but they didn't say thank you last time. Well, 
Has God ever done something for you you've never said thank you? Did he do it? Because he, I'll only die for you if you say thank you. Come on. There's an unconditional love of God, which if you grasp, it will empower you to show that unconditional love of God to other people. You can't give what you ain't got. Let me read you an excerpt from a, from a book. A young man cowered in a dirty corner of a cockroach-infested death row cell in South Carolina prison. His body was curled in a fetal position. He seemed oblivious to the filth and the stench around him. In 1979, Rusty, aged 23, had been sentenced to die for the brutal murders of four people. Bob McAllister, deputy chief of staff at South Carolina's, uh, to South Carolina's governor, became acquainted with Rusty on death row. Bob felt God had called him to spend time with those inmates who were in the last days of their lives on death row. Bob's first look at Rusty revealed a pitiful sight. Rusty was lying on the floor when he arrived, a pathetic picture of a man who believed that he mattered to no one. Only signs of life in the cell were the roaches that scurried over everything, including Rusty himself. He made no effort to move or even brushed insects away. He stared blankly at Bob as he began to talk. He did not respond to him. During visit after visit, Bob tried to reach Rusty, telling him about the love of Jesus and telling him that the opportunity that he had to know that love even on death row and to start a new life with Jesus even at the end of his life on earth. He talked and prayed continuously. And finally, Rusty began to respond to the stranger who kept invading his cell. Little by little, he opened up until one day he began to weep as Bob was sharing with him. On that day, Rusty Wellborn, a pitiful man with a murder and darkness behind him, in his own death closing, with his own death closing in ahead of him, gave his life to Jesus Christ. When Bob returned to Rusty's cell a few days later, he found a new man. The cell was clean. So was Rusty. He had a renewed energy and a positive outlook on life. McAllister continued to visit him regularly, studying the Bible with him and praying. The two men became close friends, and over the next five years, in fact, over the next five years, in fact, McAllister said that Rusty grew to be like a son that he never had. And as for Rusty, he called McAllister Pop. Bob learns that Rusty's childhood in West Virginia, he learned about his family, how it had been destitute. He learned how Rusty had been neglected and experienced no love and had been abused as a youngster. How school had been an ordeal for both him and his teachers. Throughout his junior years, uh, he, he, he wore the same two pairs of trousers and the same ragged two pairs of sh two shirts uh, every day. Out of shame and frustration and lack of adult guidance, Rusty quit school early and it ends, which only led to more troubles. In his teenage years, they were full of turmoil. He was kicked out of more homes than he can remember, and he ran away from countless others. He spent the better part of his youth under bridges and in public restrooms. In time, Rusty became extremely bothered by the devastating pain that he'd caused his family and friends. Knowing that God had forgiven him, he desperately wanted the forgiveness of those who he had wronged. Then the most significant thing happens. The brother of the woman who Rusty had murdered became a Christian, and God dealt with him uh, for two years about his need to forgive his sister's killer. Finally, he wrote Rusty a letter offering him not only forgiveness, but love in Christ. Not long before his scheduled execution, this brother and his wife came to visit Rusty. Bob was present when the two men met and tearfully embraced like long-lost brothers finally reunited. On his final day, only hours remaining before his 1 a.m. execution, Rusty asked McAllister to read him from the Bible. After an hour or so of listening, Rusty sat up on the side of his cot and said, you know, the only thing I ever wanted was a home, Pop, and now I'll get to have one. Bob continued reading, and after a few minutes, Rusty grew very still. Thinking he had fallen asleep, Bob placed the blanket over him and closed the Bible. He turned as he left, and he felt a strong compulsion to lean over and kiss him on the forehead. A short time later, Rusty Wellborn was executed for murder. A woman assisting Rusty in his last moments shared the proscript of this story. As he was being prepared for death, Rusty looked at her and said, what a shame that man's got to wait till the last night alive 
to be tucked in and kissed for the very first time. Unconditional love of Jesus Christ changes people's lives. That unconditional love that God showed us in the cross, it is personal. It's so amazing, and He's alive, and He loves you, and He wants to be your God. And then He shows that same love to people who have been impacted by that love. We get to show that love to other people with an unconditional radicalness that God inspires us with. And you know what? Sometimes love is a decision, not an emotion. Sometimes you won't feel like loving. You know, when Jesus was dying on the cross, he wasn't dying there with all sorts of nice goosebumps going down his spine, thinking all sorts of gooey thoughts. He wasn't. He was there by decision to love the world that hated him. And sometimes you're loving other people will be despite your emotions. You're just going to keep loving anyway, because that's what unconditional love does. And you look who Jesus was speaking to. Jesus was saying, as I have loved you. And who was his crowd? Well, there's the group of 12 of them. The close-up group were 12. Matthew, Mark, all those disciples. Peter was a fisherman. There was a guy called Simon. He was a zealot. That was like a political activist, like SNP member, okay? And then there was uh, Matthew. He'd been a tax collector. You know, and tax collectors were despised. It's like someone who, an employee of the RBS, okay? So, so you, had, you had everyone in this, in this group, in this small group. Everyone was there in this small group. And you know what? Some people choose to go to a church where everyone's like them. But I choose to go to a church where everyone's different. And I love that. Because I think our opportunity to choose to love people, and sometimes it's a choice, But I think that opportunity transforms our lives. So live that way. But how is this love possible? Let's go the final step back and look how Jesus starts. Let's read the verse again. One, two, three. A new commands I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. You see, he says... Uh, new commands. You see that? Uh, new commands. It's a new commands. My, my question is, well, what's, what's wrong with the old one? All right. What's wrong with the old one? Remember the old one? J- Jesus was asked by one of the teachers, teacher, tell me, what is the greatest commandment of the law? And Jesus replied, Matthew 22, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your minds, And this is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And they're awesome. And they will never cease to be the great commands. Love God and love others. But why the new commands? What's wrong with the old one that Jesus quoted? There's nothing wrong with it. It's just the new one amplifies it. Just the new one takes it to a place that it could never have gone unless Jesus had died on the cross and rose again. Let me explain so let's compare them first of all. You see, you see the old one. The old is love your neighbor as yourself. You see that? And the new one is love one another as I have loved you. So what's wrong with the old one? Okay, remember Casey Treat, when he was starting a huge church in Seattle, Christian Faith Center, now uh, 15,000 people, huge church. At the early stages when that church got started, Casey Treat was a, recover- he, he was a recovered drug addict and he was planting this church. And the bunch of people who came along to the church were recovering drug addicts to various degrees of recovery. <laughs> and that was his church. And man, he was getting so frustrated with these guys. Like they would be there one week, then they wouldn't turn up, then they would promise the world and deliver nothing. And man, he was getting so frustrated with these. This is, his, this is how he started the church. He was getting so frustrated with these people. And, and after one day of getting hugely frustrated, He's saying, God, why have you given me this? And God said, your problem is you love your neighbor as you love yourself. And he said, God, you told us to do that. And he says, yeah, but the problem is you don't love yourself. And you see, that's the problem. That's the problem with the old one. The problem with the old one was based on your ability to love yourself. And the good news is the, the, the great thing about the new one is it's actually to do with his love. The old one was dependent on your ability to love you. The new one is dependent on God's love of you. Whether you love yourself or not, tough, God loves you. I love that. 
And also, here's the the awesome, exciting thing about the new commandment. A new commandment, I give you, love one another as I have loved you. Let me illustrate this. When, When I was in Israel, on the last day when I was in Jerusalem, if you go real early in the morning, you get access to the old Temple Mount area, where the Jerus- right in Jerusalem, where Solomon built his temple, where it was eventually destroyed. Uh, Zerubbabel rebuilt it. It was, it was removed, and eventually Herod built the temple. That's where Jesus went, right up there in Temple Mount area, the original location of the Jewish temple in Jerusalem. And I think the Jews are so angry that now, instead of the temple, right there, is this huge big, this is the Dome of the Rock, famous golden dome. That's literally the, the large mosque in the center of Jerusalem on the exact site of Solomon's temple. You imagine how much anger that must stir up in the Jewish people. So Jews can go up there, but we had the opportunity early morning, a few of us got up early before breakfast, and we went along and we got access to this area, this whole Temple Mount area where the original temple had been. And I don't know if you see, just see, that's a kind of, just a photo behind the Dome of the Rock. Actually, that little area at the back there, based on the location of where Solomon's temple was, literally, that is where the Holy of Holies, the Ark of the Covenant, the Holy of Holies, it would have been right there. And we walked down to it. And we didn't die. It's not like Indiana Jones where, like, fire started coming out of it. We didn't die. I let Grant go first. Grant, just stand over there. Okay, it's cool, it's fine. But you know, honestly, here's what we figured. God wasn't there. God had moved. And then I remember, 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 remember when Jesus died on the cross and he said, it is finished. God went, ripped the tur- curtain. He said, I'm moving. I'm moving out to a new house. And then he demolished the old house, 70 AD, with the help of Titus, the Roman legions. He was saying, we no longer need that because the Holy of Holies is no longer on that spot in Jerusalem. Do you know where the Holy of Holies is now? It's right in here. The Bible says, you have become the temple of God. God has taken up residence in you. That's mind-blowing. So let's come back to this new commandment. Why the new commandment? The answer is because he's now taken up residence in you. You see, it's no longer us doing something for God. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. The new commandment is God's going to do something through us. Love your neighbor. Love one another as I have loved you. How are you going to love like Jesus? I mean, you see how Jesus loved it's like, we found the old one hard enough, Jesus. Now you're like, going to raise the bar. You see how you loved? Yeah, yeah, but he's just, he's still doing it. He's just doing it through us because he's taken up residence in us. And this whole new commandment is because we're living in a new era. Jesus has died on the cross and risen again. And those who trust him, Jesus takes up residence in their life. And it's an amazing thought that it's not just that we get to love in the same way Jesus loved it's that we get to love with the same power with which Jesus loved, because Jesus loves through us. Romans 5 verse 5 says, God's love is poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Let's pray. God, we are so grateful to you, God, for your love, for your passion for your complete commitment to broken people like us. Jesus, thank you so much for being willing to die in our place and rise again. And not just in your death and resurrection, but the way you demonstrated love for those three years, how you taught the multitudes and how you fed the hungry and how you healed their sick and had compassion on people and touched untouchables and crossed racial barriers and just showed love and We want to be like you, Jesus. But instead of us trying to imitate you, thank you, you just live through us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, you've taken up residence. And all over this world, we have hospitals and aid organizations and orphanages and homeless ministries and one-to-one interactions where God's people get to show God's love with God's power. Thank you for this new commandment, Jesus. 
And thank you, you can be seen in this world that's so desperate, so out at sea, so lost in a turmoil of confusion and political upheaval. Thank you, you call us to shine like lights in the darkness and show the love of God. All right, just church, in his presence, just take some time just to respond. Just pray back your own response to him. Pray back your own response. If there's been something that specifically triggered something in your soul today, talk to him about it just now. This is your moment. Talk to him. It might be today that while you're praying, maybe there's one or two of you here and you've never yet put your faith in Jesus. I don't mean you were christened as a kid or you've been going to church. I don't even mean you're religious. I mean, you've, you haven't actually put your whole faith in Jesus. You've never personally received what he did for you on that cross and in his resurrection. He doesn't want you just to know about him. He wants you to know him. He wants to have a relationship with you. And if you're here today and you're saying, Peter, I don't know God, but I want to know God. Then this is your moment. This is your moment. He's here. And he wants to be oh so close to you. And if that's you today and you're saying, Peter, I want to know God, then why not just pray this prayer with me just now? I'll pray one line at a time. And under your breath, repeat this prayer after me. And I want you to pray this from your heart. And this is your way of connecting with God. If that's you today, pray this with me just now, one line at a time. Pray, dear Lord God, thank you so much for your love for me. Jesus, thank you. You are willing to pay the ultimate price on my behalf. Thank you for dying and rising again for me. Thank you for your love that motivated you to do this. Today I acknowledge that I am a sinner and I need saved. And I come to you just now to be saved, to know your forgiveness. Forgive me, God, and give me a whole new start today. Jesus, I believe you're alive, risen from the dead. And today, I commit myself to you. Be Lord of my life. Thank you for hearing my prayer and accepting me as your child today, God.